a devout priest dies and goes to heaven. He's walking around heaven and he sees a man he knew from his earthly life. This man was a bus driver, but he was also a drunk. And the priest knew this man because he was often his confessor. He knew this man was a wretch. He was a degenerate. He was a drunk. And uh, this, this priest, after seeing this man, was very disturbed. He didn't understand why this man was in heaven. So he went to God to ask. And he told God, he said, God, I am a priest. I've been devout. I was devout my whole life. I, you know, I preached every Sunday. I taught your truth. I taught people to know you. I spoke. I lived my life dedicated to you. And this man, he was a drunk and a reprobate. Why is he in heaven? How is this possible? And God said to the priest, Every Sunday you preached, and most people slept. And this man, when he drove his bus, most people prayed. All right, well, I'm not good at telling jokes. (laughs) Hey, guys. This is the Construction Monk Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Laurie. We are in the middle of a series called Hearing God. And today, this, this is part three. Today we're going to talk about prayer, right? I think it's interesting in that, that it was a joke, but uh, I'm not good at jokes. I'm not good at the punchline. But in that joke, right, the priest preached sermons to people, but the bus driver brought people to pray. <laughs> Prayer is pretty important, Um, When I heard that joke, I heard that yesterday in a podcast, I laughed really hard. Uh, I don't know if you you laughed when you heard me tell it. Anyway, I want to talk to you about prayer. And what does prayer have to do with hearing God? Well, I I mean, what do you think? What do you think when you think about prayer? What do you think prayer is? Unfortunately, I think... When we think of prayer, we think of being heard by God, not hearing God, right? Praying, for most of us, means talking to God, telling God things, telling God what's on our heart, asking God to do things. That's what we would call petitionary prayer. We're asking God to do things. Well, what I've just said right there should be revealing. There's a, there's a kind of prayer that's called petitionary prayer, which is where we ask God to do things. What that also says is that's a type of prayer. What it also says is there's more to prayer than that. But really, is that all? All we do when we pray, is that, does that constitute all of our praying? In other words, when we pray, are we just practicing a part of what prayer truly is? Do we know what prayer truly is in its biggest sense, in the most holistic sense? What is prayer? What is maybe the big P prayer, not the little P prayer, (laughs) if I could say it that way. There's prayer, then there's prayer. I mean, sure, we ask God for things, right? But is God just a wish-granting genie here to do what we ask? And, you know, I think this is often a frustration. Like, how does prayer work? You know, uh, the health and wealth brand of Christianity teaches this idea, right, 
when it comes to prayer, especially that, you know, oh shoot, I just realized I need a stick. I just walked through a spider, but I forgot. I might be walking through spiders. Anyway, grabbing myself a stick here. I, I hold the stick up and then, there we go, breaking. This is a good one. It's got leaves and stuff on it. It'll really catch the spider webs. Hold on. <laughs> Sorry. There we go. Got my spider web stick. Goodness. Hold on. It's like too many limbs on it. There we go. Ooh, that's good. Okay. All right. As I was <laughs> as I was saying, the health and wealth brand of Christianity has this concept about prayer. Um, you know, that we, you know, we have to have faith and we have to do something to motivate God. They call it sowing a seed, right? Um, Jesus talked about doing something when, um, when he was on the mount, mountain and did his transfiguration thing. He came back down immediately, at least according to the the biblical record, he comes right back down to his disciples trying to cast out a demon and failing. And he tells them, this one can, and some of the scriptures say, this one can only come out through prayer and fasting. Like, my point is that often we pray and nothing happens or we're not sure how prayer works and health and the health and wealth gospel or the health and wealth preachers say, oh, well, you didn't have enough faith. You know, you didn't sow, you, you sowed the seed, you did the stuff, but you didn't have enough faith. And Jesus said, well, you prayer and fasting. Like, is there a formula to prayer? Is there a formula to getting God to do, to answer our prayers, to do what we want? Well, actually, I think there is. Kind of. I wouldn't say there's a formula. But there's a way we're, we're, we're called to pray. And I think it's, it, it's, it's revealing this way we're called to pray. is revealing about what prayer actually is. Jesus said, when we pray, we should pray in the will of the Father. We should pray in the name of the Father. He said, actually said, ask whatever you want in the name of the Father and you will receive it. Some pretty bold statements that Jesus makes about prayer, but there is a contingency or there is a um, stipulation when it comes to praying, asking God, talking to God, asking God for things, making requests before God. There's a stipulation that is that we pray in the will of God or in the character or in the name of God, which, yes, is the character of God. I think it's very interesting. This is just something that I realized as I practiced prayer for a long time, I realized in reading scripture that I realized that there was this stipulation. Jesus said, when you pray, you will receive whatever you ask for when you ask in the name of God. Of course, and so then what do we do? Um, this was kind of fun. I don't know where my daughter picked this up, but when she was about four, so I pray with my daughter every night. Ooh, I should. I wonder if I should. I do this repetitive prayer. Um, it's just a. It's a, a. An accumulation of the things she's asked me to pray for, at different times, and so it's become a rote prayer, which is kind of fun. Which is, you know, that's another interesting thing. There are these 
wrote prayers. I think that's interesting. There's the, there's the Book of Common Prayer. Anyway, my daughter, she just developed this thing. But we would pray, and she would say, Daddy, no, you need to say in the name of Jesus. I don't know where she picked that up. So when I pray with my daughter, I say, in the name of Jesus. Um, anyway, she, she has me pray for certain things. Um, and it's interesting, you know, because in those prayers, when they've been answered, then we incorporate that into the prayer as a thanks. And so um, some of the things I've prayed for with my daughter have been some of her lost toys. <laughs> and it's just, it's cool to, to pray with my kids and then, you know, to, to uh, begin to teach them to expect God to hear them and then to begin to look for God to hear them and then begin to see that God does hear them. That's kind of fun, isn't it? And that's also indicative of the fact that prayer is a learning process, right? But what does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus, in the name of God, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? What we think it means is we say in the name of the Father, (laughs) the Son, the Holy Spirit. We think we say the name. Like, we've just taken this superficial surface understanding of that phrase. What the phrase actually means is in the character of. What is a name? Is a name the letters, the word? A name represents a person, right? It's the person, not the name, that, that is the thing, right? When we pray to God, when God, when Jesus said pray in the name of the Father, or ask in the will of the Father, he's saying when you ask God in the character of God, God will grant what you want. What he's really saying, and I love this, this is what I've realized, when you ask God to do what God wants to do, God will do it. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's a really, I think that's a really big revelation about prayer that we need to get. When you ask God to do what God wants to do, God will do it. Well done. Of course. But doesn't that make sense? So I think part of understanding how prayer works is understanding that truth. God always wants to do what God wants to do. Hey, isn't that, isn't that cool? But doesn't that make sense? Hey, when you ask God to do what God wants to do, God will do it. But here's the other side of that. When you ask God to do what God does not want to do, God won't do it. So... There's, there's a, this is a really, no, don't, don't pass by this. This is a really deep truth. Because what are we asking God to do most of the time? Think about it. You're asking God to do what you want, right? You're going through your life, you're going through the world, and you're seeing, you know, you're encountering obstacles, problems, struggles, stresses, complications, you know, conflict. And then you come to God and say, God... Well, well, you come to God with a problem and a solution, really. God, I'm having this problem. Could you do this? God, could you heal my friend from cancer? God, could you, uh, you know, fix this financial issue, this relational issue, this um, mental issue, emotional issue? We're, we're always asking God to intercede, we're, right, on our behalf or others' behalf petitionary prayers. We're asking God, making requests, but we're often asking God to do what we want, right? Well, and, and, and indicative or, 
You know, a part of that is that we think we know what to do or what should be done. We're actually trying to direct God in our prayers. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever thought about that? I think that's really profound. Jesus says, when you ask God to do what God wants to do, God will do it. When you ask in the character of God and the will of God, right? Like, who is God? That's God's character. And what does God want to do? That's what we ask God to do. Because God's character is, an, is integral to God's will. God's will and character are wrapped up and connected and each informs the other. God's character is that God is loving, kind, embracing, present. And God's will is that all should know him and her and live out of the presence of God. So in, ge- in a general sense, we could actually start to pray in the will of God, knowing in a general sense who God is and what God wants. Scripture, you know, Scripture, that's what, this is the purpose of Scripture, to teach us who God is. This was the last podcast, the purpose of Scripture when it comes to knowing God and hearing God. Prayer is the same. Like scripture informs us about who God is, and in a general sense, we could start to kind of learn who God is and pray out of who we know God to be, right? And that's cool. That's a good step. That would be a good step. But when we pray, we need to understand we are at least attempting to pray according to how God would pray. And this is the phrase I've developed out of this. And I think it's true. God does not answer our prayers. He answers the prayers he prays through us. Man, that's cool, isn't it? God does not answer our prayers. He answers the prayers he prays through us. Huh. That's that's cool, isn't it? So, here's the other aspect to that, though, that I want to get into. I think it's so important when it comes to prayer, to know God, to have a real relationship with God. I mean, we can know the character of God in some general ways through Scripture, right? But the will of God, that, that I would say, we can also glean some things about the will of God through what God has done in the past. But I would say God's will is a present thing. Scripture says God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. God is eternal. God is I am. God is the ever-present presence. And so God's will is ever-present. Like, you know, it's just common sense to say God's will 2,000 years ago for a group of people is not the same as God's will for us today. In, In some ways, you can glean some truths about who God is based on what God's will was in a particular situation for a particular set of people. But that's just so general. Like, I think we really need to know, we really want to know and need to know God's will for us right here and now. Like, God says, behold, I do a new thing. God is, you know, unchanging, but always new. I think what is new about God is God's, God's continual um, movement in the world, God's continual advancing of his kingdom, Right? Like I think it's I think we need to know God's present will. God is God is present to us and God has a present will for us. And God's will is just so it's too particular and vast to be generalized. 
It's too specific. It's too person person specific and time specific. <laughs> I almost got a little tongue tied there. It's God's will is person specific and time specific. But what we generally do is make it general because that's easy. But th- let me just tell you something. I mean, I, I I'll probably come back to this. This is just a big theme. When you make God's will general, then you really are in control of what God's will is. It's your understanding. Like when you're just gleaning principles from the Bible and, and kind of um, formulating a general picture of who God is and, and what God's will is, you're still really in control of that. You, you're interpreting that. You're not only interpreting the pages of the Bible, what Scripture really indicates about God, you're also reinterpreting it for what it means today. Or, you know, what it means for you today. Then, you're still really, even in prayer, talking to God about what you think and what you, and how you understand things. And how you understand, like, how you understand who God is and how you understand how God should act. And how you've interpreted that. And so you're still asking God to do your will based on your understanding. Does that make sense? I don't think we can really pray in God's will, in God's name, in God's character when we don't really know God. I think it's just an active thing. So I would say the more you come to know God, the more you can pray in God's will. Because God's will is specific. I mean, I just think there's two approaches to this that we can take when it comes to everything about Christianity and, and religion. You know, we can really be in charge of it and just be interpreting and moving in our own knowledge and understanding um, of things. And then we're really just praying in our will, thinking it's God's. Or we can truly come to know God and pray out of God's will. And I think that's the point. And that comes back to what prayer truly is. I think a better word for prayer is communion. What is prayer? Prayer is communion. It is relationship. It's about, it's about, it incorporates talking to God. It incorporates asking God questions. It can even incorporate asking God to do what we have uh, understood uh, is needed in a certain situation, right? I mean, that's okay. I think it's fine. I think, I mean, we, we have to start somewhere. But I think ultimately, ultimately, prayer is about communion. It's about being present to the presence of God. It's about being with God. Um, it's about living life with God in God. In fact, uh, let's go to John 15. This is a good place to go. Uh, there's a lot of scriptures that I wanted to... Um, but Well, there's a lot of scriptures I have. I don't know... I really don't know where I'll go, but I like this John 15. Oh, sorry. <laughs> trying to get out of that. Okay, here we go. It's a good one. Oh, I threw my, my spider stick on the ground. I got to pick it up. Can you hear it? That's <laughs> the dead leaves shaking. It's doing a good job picking up spiders uh, and spider webs. I can see them in the branches. As I walk along. Anyway, John, 
John 15. Yeah, if you haven't figured it out, I'm out on the trails. I, I've, I've just stopped mentioning it, I think, because I don't know. I walk on the trails. I come out early in the morning and I walk on the trails. John 15, Jesus. You know, this is, this is all part of a long passage where, where Jesus is praying. He's trying to pre- prepare the, the disciples for what's coming. It's, it's all part of either he's praying to God or he's trying to teach the, the disciples what to expect as he leaves and as they pick up his mission. So anyway, keep that in mind too. Jesus says, I am the vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You already, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, I also, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So this is pretty cool. Here, here we get into prayer. But I think I want you to understand that Jesus talks about asking him for whatever you wish. But he's talking about it in context of abiding. And, and this is the NIV and doesn't use the word abiding. But when, when he says remain in me, um, some of the... Oh, there's a spider hanging from my phone. It's little baby spiders. And now he's trying to crawl back towards me. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Um... Abide in me. I just like that word. I don't know why. Abide in me and I in you. He says this like three times. He says, I am the vine. Verse 4, he says, abide in me. Verse 5, he says, abide in me. Verse 7, he says, abide in me. Like before Jesus says, ask whatever you want. And it will be done. He says, abide in me. Remain in me. Be in me. It's rem- remain in me and I in you. Like we need to develop this relationship where I'm in you and you're in me. And we have this what? Communion. When you have a deep communion with God through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, of course you can ask whatever you wish but it's not what, then it's not what you wish because it comes out of communion because you're in relationship with God and you're talking with God and God's talking with you and there's this relational flow that's happening. There's this participation in the life of God who is the life in you and you're in this relationship and you're talking with God and God's talking with you and then out of that communion, out of that abiding, out of that relationship, then you can start to ask for God to do things, and it will be in keeping with that communion. And what did Jesus say? Deny yourself. So here in verse 8, he says, or 7, he says, ask whatever you wish. But what he's already assuming when he says this is that you're abiding in him, in God, and that you've crucified yourself, that you've denied yourself. So when you really are living a life crucified with Christ in self-denial, you're no longer asking for what you want. And then when you ask out of 
your, in a sense, out of your will. It's not your will, it's God's will because God's will has become your will. And what you want has, is what God wants because what God wants has become so established in you. So we can read this one verse and say, God says, ask whatever I wish or whatever I want. But when we don't understand that first, we have to crucify the self, the fleshly desires, be crucified with Christ, be abiding in Christ, be in communion with Christ in such a way that really Christ becomes our life, which is what Scripture says. Then when we're asking for what we want, what we're actually wanting is what God wants. Because that's, that's the paradigm. Abide, remain, live. When we live in God, when we live out of God and God lives in us, and we have this relational communion, then we can ask for what we want. But what we're, what, what we're wanting then is what God wants, because that's where we're living. We're living in the will of God. We're living out of the wants of God. And so we're praying for God. We're asking God to do what God already wants to do. And that's how it works. <laughs> Isn't that cool? So here in John 15, Jesus clearly shows us, even in the context of asking in the character and will of God, asking God to do whatever we, you know, it is out of this abiding that we ask, out of this communion. Jesus makes that clear. Three times he says, remain in me or abide in me. And then he says, out of that abiding, we can make requests to God because we'll be participating with God in the world, in the will of God, in the character of God for the world, for us, for everyone. I'm just looking forward a little bit. Yeah, so... um, I don't know if I'll go verses 9 through like 17. So he talks about love. He's talking about love. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Remain in my love. Abide. Again, here's this abiding. So he just switches talking about love. There's this love relationship, right? Again. So, so we could say in a sense, he's not, when he's, first he talks about abiding, but then he talks about the fact that love is the, is the central aspect of abiding. <sighs> And then he kind of, towards the end of this section about how we live out of the love of God, again, he says, uh, I'll just read verse 16. He says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And there there again he says, whatever you ask. But then he says it in this way, in my name. When we ask in the character and will of Jesus, which is the character and will of God. But he he talks about bearing fruit. So there's abiding. There's bearing fruit. There's love. All of these things are aspects of prayer. We must be in a growing relationship with God. Communion. We must be bearing fruit for God's purposes We must be in a love relationship with God. And out of all those things, we can start to ask God. Make requests to God. And we can know and have confidence that God hears and listens and will act accordingly. Because we are asking, we're in this process of coming to know God intimately. And so out of that intimacy, we can ask God and pray because we, 
we're coming to know who God is and what God desires in very intimate ways. And so it's natural to begin to ask God out of that position to do what God, what we know God wants. And that's how prayer works. <laughs> but here's the other thing when it comes to prayer and communion, right? Like this whole passage is talking about abiding. How do we abide? How do we get in connection to Christ and God in this way? I think, I think the key that, you know, we've talked about the character and will of God. Like we're wanting to pray out of the will of God, character of God. But there's something in the way of that. I think we just need to be honest and sober-minded, right? What's in the way of us living in the flow of God's character and will in a very direct, intimate way? It's our will. Like, that's the big block. That's the thing that has to be gotten rid of. That's why Jesus makes it so, so, why he's so emphatic and, and it's so important that we are crucified, with Christ. What's crucified? Our will, our wants, our desires, our desire to get what we want. As James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not your desires that wage war within you? You want to do not have, and so you fight and you bicker and you quarrel. And like, <clears throat> our will is in the way of being in communion with God in His will. And so there is a process, even when it comes to prayer beginning to go through what the Eastern Orthodox Church calls kenosis, or self-emptying. This is based on a passage from, uh, is it Philippians? I think it's Philippians, where it says, Jesus did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and became a servant, taking on the appearance of a man, or the form of a man, and humbling himself even into a cross, into death, even death on a cross. Uh, and I just, sorry, I butchered that. I, I kind of started out strong, and I, I'm not, I probably skipped some words and phrases in there. But this is where the concept of self-emptying, Jesus did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself. Like he just gave up, he gave up everything he had. He let go of everything he wanted. He, he said, you know, for this to work, for me to do what God wants, for me to be in communion with God and let God's will be preeminent, I'm going to have to get rid of my own. That's kenosis. That's what Eastern Orthodox calls kenosis. just means self-emptying. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. This is what the cross of Jesus represents. Self-denial, self-emptying, getting rid of your desires. I would say getting rid of your self-centered, egocentric desires for self-fulfillment. As James says, what, what, why are we in contention with others? Because we're all operating in our own will. Now, this is so cool. I mean, this is, this is where my tradition contemplation, you know, this is why it teaches union with God and unit of consciousness. Is, does God have a divided will about the world? No. If we are divided amongst ourselves, it's because we're willing things apart from God. Seven billion wills in the world create seven billion different desires, schemes, agendas, and potentials, you could say. When we are in union with God's will, that is a unifying will because it is one will. God has one overarching purpose, design, intention, work, 
to advance his kingdom, to draw all people to himself, into love and relationship. When we, the more we are in tune with God's will, the more we are unified, because it's a unifying will, because that's a singularity of will. So that's the other thing, is God's will produces unity, peace, harmony, rest. But the main thing, I believe this is the main thrust of the Christian life, putting to death our will. The false self. Jesus said, deny yourself. He's not saying deny your true self. He's saying you're not living as your true self because your true self is meant to live in communion with God and in great and deep intimacy with God. Prayer is a subset of this reality that we are meant to live in, in communion with God, in a sense. Prayer as we think about it. Prayer is as, as in asking God to do things or asking God to resolve or solve things. What we truly need to keep in mind when it comes to prayer is that we need to be asking God to do what God wants. The reason that our prayers seem to be unanswered, seem to fall on deaf ears, is really because our ears are deaf, not God's. Because we don't know what God wants and we're not first really seeking God's will in every situation. When you know how to hear God, you know how to pray for what God wants. And here's the other thing. I think this is just another aspect of of prayer that we get wrong. Why do we need to ask God to do anything? Do we need to coerce God to do what is good and right? Do we really need to tell God what's going on? Here's another good scripture. Maybe I'll just jump here. This is a fun scripture. I just like this one. I'm not sure if it'll illuminate much (laughs) in this discussion, but I think so. Um, Sorry. Gotta skip over to it. Here we go. This is Romans chapter 8. Paul writing. Now in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Hmm. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Hmm. Interesting. I think it's cool. First Paul says, we don't, know what to pr- we don't know what to pray for as we should. We don't know. I think that's a good place to start with prayer. Don't come to God like you know. Like you know even what's going on with you. Come to God as if God knows, not you. <laughs> that's a good place to start in prayer. That's what we could call humility. Be humble. Don't come to God saying, well, look what's going on over here, God. Did you see that? Do you see this? Do you see what's going on? Do you see how I'm struggling? God's like, yeah, I see, yeah. What, what do you think? Do you think I, don't you think I'm omniscient and omnipotent? <laughs> I see. Okay, God, well, you need to get in here and do this, fix this, solve this. And God's like, hmm, well, actually, I'm allowing the circumstance to effervesce in your life because you, you're living a self-willed life and I'm trying to teach you to abide in me. I'm trying to teach you the importance of surrendering your will. So I'm allowing you to suffer. So often our prayers are, God, I'm suffering. Please stop it. And God's like, you're suffering because 
you don't know how to be in tune with me. That's why you're suffering. Because your, your will is in contention with mine. And you're trying to do what you think is good and what you want and trying to get what you want. And that's why you're suffering. And yes, I cover over that often by my grace. But right now I'm allowing it to effervesce. I'm allowing actually your willfulness to effervesce in a way that's causing you suffering so you will stop and go, huh, why am I suffering? And so I can come in and say, you're suffering because you're living life apart from me and you're living in your own sense of goodness and I'm trying to teach you that. And so you're asking me to mitigate the very thing I'm allowing to teach you to surrender more of yourself to me. That's the main and primary focus of the Christian life. Not suffering, but learning to surrender our will to God's. And it comes through suffering. And so often when we struggle, when things aren't going right or well, often I would say, as the scripture, as Romans says, God works all things. We know that God works all things or causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose, those who love God, those who are in a relationship with God. Like God works everything for our good. Not, he doesn't work everything to be good, to feel good, to look good, but to he works it all for our good. Sometimes it's good to suffer. Sometimes that's necessary in order to begin to walk out of our self-willed life. So sometimes what we're actually asking God to do is mitigate the very things that God is allowing in order to teach us how to live in communion with God. In order to be able to actually ask God for what God wants. Because we know God and we're praying to God out of God's will, not our own. <laughs> That's why it's important that the Spirit... Like again, here, here we have Paul illuminating this idea that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray. Spirit knows. Spirit's interceding for us. The Spirit is actually also in us. And so like, there's this idea. God knows more than we do. God actually knows everything, and we don't. We, we really know nothing, and that's what He says. We don't know what to pray for. The Spirit knows. The Spirit, but the Spirit is also in us, right? That's how the Spirit knows. He's in us, with us. God is with us. God's talking to God about us, because God knows what's going on, and we don't. So, like, we need to come to God. My point is, prayer is a two-way street. But really, most of prayer should be us listening to God, not God listening to us. Let me just, real quick, I need to jump back and check my timer. Okay. I like that verse because it really, it reveals a lot about why our prayers seem to fall on deaf ears. It also reveals that God is praying to us. It's not just us praying to God. Because prayer is communion, prayer is communication, prayer is relationship, prayer is about love. Prayer is communion. God prays to us. Isn't that interesting? God asks us to listen. God asks us to do things. God knows what we need. We don't. Prayer, prayer should be us talking to God out of God talking to us. But how do we, through prayer, come to hear God, I would say? That's a good question. We're talking about hearing God, how we can come to hear God. The first podcast was called Expectations. I would say when it comes to prayer, our expectation should be that while it may begin in its rudimentary form, in our immaturity, it may begin with us talking to God 
almost exclusively. The goal is that it should flip and there should become a point where it's almost exclusively God talking to us and everything we say to God is out of what God has already said to us. A lot of my prayers are out of not just what I know God has shown me, truths, um, promises, but also out of what I know, who I know God to be. I pray out of God's heart because I have a sense of God's heart. Because I have an in-tuneness with God's heart in the world, in me. I have an, I'm in-tune in me with God's heart and God's heart is in the world and in me. There's this connectedness that is bred from this communion. So I'm praying. As I pray, I'm, I'm really praying often out of a, a groaning of the Spirit in me. A groaning, a burden, a passion, a lament. I remember one time, uh, I spent about three years traveling to Houston, Texas, Texas a lot for work. And um, one time we, we would stay at, at, at Airbnbs and stuff. It was really cool. I really got to, to, to actually just live in different neighborhoods in Houston. It was fun for me. I'm an explorer. One time we stayed at the Galleria or in the Galleria area. It was, I don't know if the apartment, it was like a 25-story apartment high rise. And it was real close to the Galleria Mall there, which is a really cool upscale mall. But So we were like on the 17th floor. I could look out over the city at night. It was cool. But like what, for some reason, what, we, I think we were working at night. One of the jobs we did uh, a lot of the jobs were not nighttime. Uh, we did a lot of work at Texas Children's Hospital. Anyway, so like I spent one day walking around the city. I just decided I had, I think I had my water backpack, which I usually walk with, and I got some food, and I decided I was going to walk to, there was an arboretum or something, and and it was a couple miles, and I just decided to walk through the city. And I, I'm walking through the city, and I'm just talking with God as I walk through the city. It was it was, a, it was just, I loved it. It was a really, there was a really deep communion that took place. But you know what happened out of that communion? I'm, I'm just communicating with God. Talking with God. Um, and I began to feel this burden. And I began to walk through the city. I started to feel God's heart for this city. And I started to cry out of this communion with God because I began to feel God's heart for in that moment for the place I was in in that moment I just felt this loneliness this isolation I felt this desperation I felt this depression I felt this um, aloneness God in that moment allowed me to have an experience of this city of God's heart, not just the city, of God's heart. And God's heart was a longing to draw lonely people into communion with him and her. That's a good picture of prayer. It wasn't just me talking to God. But it actually started that way. I started walking. My point is that our expectation should move us towards the idea that it's not a one-way conversation. And that actually eventually got you to do most of the talking. And even when we're talking to God, it's out of what God is talking about to us. Our talking to God is out of God talking to us. We don't need to tell God things. We don't need to tell God what to do. God needs to tell us things. God needs to tell us what to do. That's prayer. So my point, I think, when it comes to hearing God, 
concerning prayer. Though we may start with a one-way conversation more one-sided on our side, it should eventually lead us to a place where it is more one-sided on God's side. I think that's the goal. My point is also, that's, no, that's the goal. Don't spend your whole life talking to God and wondering why you never hear God, but you never give God the chance to speak, and it's never your expectation that God will speak, or it's never a real present expectation. I can tell you when it comes to prayer, <clears throat> even before I really heard God that well, or had this really sense, this communal sense of God's presence and spirit and heart, I still talked to God as if God could speak to me. I asked God questions. I brought my heart to God. I opened my heart to God. And slowly God's heart began to open to me in a way that I could sense it. I don't know. So, <clears throat> I, you know, as a preteen, I was depressed. My home life was not great. My dad was abusive. I, was, I had a lot of depression from early, early on at young ages, probably 11, 12. I was depressed. I struggled. I I just, I'm a sensitive person. So maybe a lot of that uh, came from that sensitivity towards others. Just, I'm very empathic. Anyway, when I was 11, 12, I just began talking to God as if God was there, as if God could hear me. I began to pour my heart out to God. I began to talk to God. And that, I don't know where I got that idea from. I mean, I grew up in church. But I just, I started my prayer life very, with a, with a, with a real intimate um, stance towards prayer and God. Pouring my heart out, talking to God. Um, asking God questions and that that just really established my prayer life at a young age and that that really defined my prayer life all through my life was that I talked to God as if God was there as if God could really hear and as if God could really respond I asked God questions I wrestled with God or I wrestled through things with God or I allowed God to wrestle with me in the midst of my struggles I asked God questions I asked God you know to reveal things to me. I just, I talked to God as if God could talk to me. And God didn't talk to me for a long time in a lot of ways, but eventually I began to develop an ability to hear God out of that. I think if there's anything we can do when it comes to prayer, our posture in prayer, it's that we should pray expecting God to answer. Believing God can Believing we can hear God. Believing we should. When you pray, pray as if God can answer. Ask God to show you things, to reveal things to you. Ask God questions. Talk to God as if God is with you, as if God can speak to you. And eventually, it'll start to happen. It's it's hard to describe... How to hear God. How, how I hear God. It's hard to describe. I mean, I can, I, I can and I will talk to you more about how I hear God. I think that's good. I think it's important. But um, one thing I can say is that we should act and live as if we can hear God. I think that's a part of how we come to hear God. 
It's not a one-way conversation. I'm going to see. I'm going to just check real quick. Scriptures I looked up. <laughs> Interesting. I thought this was interesting. Oh, yeah, this is what and I'll read this. This is kind of what I wanted to, to talk about. I want to talk about practicing prayer, right? Like I'm talking about praying as if God can hear, but there's, this is a practice. Prayer is a practice. It's a discipline. So here's, this is in Acts. I'm reading through Acts right now. And I thought this story was very interesting. So this is when Peter gets called. This is the, this is the Pentecost of the, of the of the Greeks or the Gentiles. This is the Gentile. It's called the Gentile Pentecost. This is what happens or what preceded that. This is uh, Ro, Ro. Sorry, I was going to say Romans. This is Acts. Huh, I don't have the. I think this is. Oh, what chapter is this? Darn it, it doesn't say. Oh, Acts chapter 10, starting with verse 1. There was a man named Cornelius who lived in Caesarea, captain of the Italian guard stationed there. He was a thoroughly good man. He had led everyone in his house to live worshipfully before God, was always helping people in need, and had the habit of prayer. One day, about three o'clock in the afternoon, he had a vision. An angel of God, as real as his next-door neighbor, came in and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared hard, wondering if he was, was seeing things. Then he said, What do you want, sir? The angel said, your prayers and neighborly acts have brought you to God's attention. Here's what you're to do. And he goes on and, and he tells Cornelius to send for, for Peter. And Peter's going to tell him something important. And then the Holy Spirit falls on them. And this is what's called the Gentile Pentecost, when the Spirit also fell on non-Jews. <laughs> but the cool thing I thought, so I think this, is, this was interesting. It talks about Cornelius. It describes, it says he was a good man, and it describes why. And these are the things that, it, these are the, the list of things that, that support this, this premise that he's good. It says he led everyone in his house to live worship, worshipfully before God. He was always helping people in need, and he had the habit of prayer. Let's, let's prayer last. But then when the angel tells Cornelius, the first thing he mentions is prayer. The second is neighborly acts that brought got him to God's attention. The first thing God says about Cornelius, the, the, the last thing that was mentioned by the writer of Acts about Cornelius was that he, was, he had a habit of prayer. But the first thing God mentions about him was that he had a habit of prayer. And that's what got, brought God to his attention. This is Cornelius experiencing God speaking to him. But it was preceded by him speaking to God. He developed a habit of prayer. So often, our habit of prayer is not a habit. It's a desperation in a moment of crisis. And we come to God, but most of the time, what are we doing? Do we have a habit of prayer? Or, is our, are, we, or are we in the habit of only praying when we need something and we're desperate and we can't handle it on our own? The habit of prayer puts us in a position to say, I'm not living my own life my own, in my own wisdom. And, and only when I need God, when I think I need God, then I come to God. My habit is not a habit. The habit of prayer is the idea that we need to live in communion with God. Uh, Paul writes, pray without ceasing. In fact, I did look that up. Let me see. Yeah. Um, 
looking for it. Uh, oh yeah, it's uh, this is Thessalonians. Chapter 1, verse 15. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek what is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. <laughs> I love this verse. This comes to my mind often, pray without ceasing. Now, I visit monasteries sometimes, and there was a period when I was, there's this thing called the prayer of the heart. And I was asking monks and just trying to figure out what this prayer of the heart was. And uh, they pointed to this verse, pray without ceasing. And they pointed to um, this idea that pray, praying without ceasing means you're always repeating the Jesus prayer or a specific kind of prayer. But most people think it's the Jesus prayer, the prayer. So, so one interpretation of the prayer of the heart is repeating the Jesus prayer. And there's a story of this guy who, uh, the Jesus prayer is, oh, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. Just Lord have mercy. And so there was a story, the true story of this guy who repeated that prayer all the time. Even when he would eat, he would take a, a bite and say, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord. He went through his whole life saying, Lord have mercy. And I was told that this was one understanding of the prayer of the heart. Interesting. Because they're pointing to this idea. Paul says pray without ceasing. Be in the habit of prayer. Does it really mean audible words that we repeat over and over? Is that even possible? No, no. If we understand that prayer is communion, we live, pray without ceasing means do everything out of communion with God. Well, when we develop a habit of prayer, what we're saying is I need to do everything out of communion with God. I need to develop a habit of going through life in communion with God, communicating with God, talking with God, and God talking with me. This is how I want to live my life. This is not an emergency break the glass kind of thing. When things are desperate, when I can't handle it, then I go to God. But most days, I'm cruising through life, everything's good, and I'm not talking to God, and I'm fine. No, you're not fine. You think you're fine. But what you're really doing is most of the time operating in your own will, your own ideas of what's good. And then when things go wrong, then you come to God with the same attitude and heart of asking God to do what you think God should do according to what you think needs to be done. And you're operating and living out of a place of your will. Prayer puts us in a place of understanding that we need to operate out of God's will. And when we develop a habit of prayer, which means we're in the habit of talking to God, eventually we develop this different attitude towards life and we walk through the world in a different way. Prayer teaches us as we develop the habit and the discipline, teaches us to live life in communion with God, always talking with God. And eventually, out of that stance, we start to learn how to put our will aside, start to be in tune with God's will and God's heart, and we begin to hear God and sense God in all the ways that God speaks. Because God speaks in all the ways. As we pay attention, as we begin to look, see, and look for God and see God in the world and hear God speaking But first, it starts with a habit of prayer, which teaches us that we need to live life prayerfully. We need to pray without ceasing. We need to live in prayer. We need to live as, as, um, we need to live prayerfully. We need to live constantly praying because prayer is a way of life. It's not words we say. It's not requests. It's not petitionary. That is sometimes what prayer is. But the big picture prayer, the big P prayer is living life with God. Walking with God, knowing that we are meant to walk with God in every moment, and God's will leads us, and that's the goal at least. So, develop my point is develop the habit of prayer. 
whatever that looks like for you. That Does that mean you start your day on your knees beside your bed or you go into your office or you get up early? I get up early every morning. <clears throat> I get up early to write. But you know what? When I write, I'm communing with God. When I write, I'm not trying to figure out what I want to say about Scripture and truth and what God's taught me. I commune with God when I write. I commune with God when I eat. I commune with God when I drive. I commune with God when I walk, when I sleep. When I sleep, I pray this with my kids. I pray, I say, God, please give them good dreams. Be with them while they sleep. And may they encounter you even in their dreams. May they encounter your presence even as they sleep. Like we can sleep in communion with God. I believe it. I ask for it. I ask for it for my kids. Because I believe it and I know it because God has shown up in my dreams as well. Wow. Live life in communion with God every moment. Develop a habit of prayer which teaches you the habit of living life with God and understanding that you are not your own person. You do not live out of your own will, your own sense of good. You're not trying to figure out how to get God to do what you want, but you're trying to figure out how to do what God wants, which means you need to hear God. Develop a habit of prayer. It's so important. It starts out you talking to God, almost exclusively you. But do it. It will begin to turn the tables. It will begin to turn from you talking to God to God talking to you. It will, it will start with almost an, an ex, it will be almost exclusively you talking to God at first, but then it will begin to be almost exclusively God talking to you. And that's the goal. And then when you pray, out of God's talking to you, when you talk to God out of God talking to you, then you know you're talking to God about what God wants and you know God will do what God wants to do. God does not answer our prayers. God answers the prayers he prays through us. When we know God, we know God's heart. I love to ask God to do what God wants to do. God's given me promises. They're starting to unfold for me. A lot of times that's what I'm talking to God about. That's what I'm wrestling with, right? I wrestle. God, you said you'd do this. I thought it was going to happen here and then, and I'm frustrated. And God said, I didn't say it happened then and, and in this way, but I said it would happen. Remain open. What you're doing is you're inserting your will again. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. That's why I'm frustrated. But still, I pray out of what God has shown me and, and what God needs to show me more. Um, I thought it was really cool in that same passage that I was reading in Acts chapter 10. God gives Peter a vision of these unclean animals comes down and he's like, no, I don't, I'm kosher, dude. I don't eat that unclean. God said, don't call anything unclean that I made clean. And when that vision was done, you know what Peter said? He's like, he says he was trying to figure out what it meant. You know what? He didn't figure out what it meant until Cornelius came. He went back with Cornelius and the spirit fell on the Gentiles. And then Peter said, oh, now I understand. My point is even when God speaks to us, even when we have this communion, it doesn't mean we always understand and there's a process and we need to continue to listen. God has revealed things to me about my future, about my purpose. God's made promises. I have to continue to let that unfold. I I must continue to walk in communion with God, even about the things God's already revealed to me because there's more revealing, there's more unfolding. It's all done in communion with God and it must be. And that's the goal for prayer. That's the goal we're trying to move towards. First, we start out 
just developing the habit of us talking to God. Eventually, we get into the habit of God talking to us, and that's how it works. How does it work? Like, practically speaking, it just does. What I'm saying is you won't figure out how it works until you just start to do it. It's only in the practice. It's only in the day-to-day. As you do it, it begins to make sense. It begins to happen. But just do it. That's all we can do. I can't, like, there's no way I can open my ears to hear God. But I can open my mouth. I can begin to talk to God and pray to God and develop the habit of prayer. And it will lead to the end goal of prayer, which is communion with God, which is not just God hearing me, but me hearing God. That's it. Pray without ceasing. That's the end goal. That's not the beginning. Don't think that that means you need to practice the prayer of the heart in the literal sense that I was told at that monastery that I go through life repeating this prayer over and over even while I eat. No, it means that you live life in communion with God, which means you hear God. And that's the goal. And when we hear God, we can ask God in the will of God and God will answer. Cool, huh? I hope that encourages you. Pray. Develop the habit of prayer. God will show up. He will. God will start to reveal himself to you, teach you how to hear. It's not, prayer is not just something we do. Prayer is something God does. It's communion. It's communication. It's two-way. It's abiding. And it bears fruit towards love. All right, guys, thanks for listening. This has been a Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori. Hey, this is fun, man. I'm really enjoying this. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure what I'll do next. But stick around and find out. You can always catch more content at www.moderncontemplative.com or, or Google Jay Randall Ori, and you'll get my YouTube station as well. Love you guys. Peace. Bye.